Section 4 of Malaria in Greek History by William Henry Samuel Jones and Edward Theodore Withington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 3. Malaria in the Medical Writers Up to the present only, the non-medical writings have been discussed. The difficulty in diagnosing the diseases mentioned in them consists in the vagueness of the nomenclature. Specific names or detailed descriptions are comparatively rare. In interpreting the medical writers, the difficulties encountered are of a different kind. Specific terms are common enough, but they do not always correspond to modern equivalents. The Greek physician classified diseases according to their symptoms. The modern custom is, when possible, to classify them according to the microorganisms that are their primary cause. It is distinctly the exception to find, in the old Greek treatises, that the writer accounts for disease in the same way as a modern scientist would account for it. The doctrines of humours and elements form the framework into which doctors were wont to fit their notions of the origins of disease. There are, however, important exceptions. It was well known that marshy districts were unhealthy, and that over-fatigue or self-indulgence tended to precipitate an attack of fever. But on the whole, it is true that the historian is not much helped in the task of diagnosis by the so-called causes to which the Greeks trace the origin of disease. Many of the Greek medical writers copied their predecessors without any acknowledgement of the debt. The idea of literary copyright did not then exist. In this manner, there is introduced an element of uncertainty that may easily deceive the unwary. For it to be known that any particular writer borrowed from another, it must not be assumed that the diseases he mentions or describes were common in the district where he lived. It is probable that the history of interminence in England has been hopelessly confused through the custom of our 16th century physicians who applied their nomenclature of Gallen to English diagnosis in a most unwarrantable fashion. I am unable to satisfy myself of the extent to which malaria existed in England during the Anglo-Saxon period, just because our chief evidence seems to be derived from a translation or adaptation of Greek originals. Fortunately, we have for classical times trustworthy evidence in the Hippocratic corpus, and scepticism does not become justified until we reach the Greco-Roman period. The object of my inquiry is not to discuss fully the multiplicity of forms malaria exhibits in the old medical writings. A treatise of interest to numbered specialists could be written about most of these. It will be sufficient for my present purpose to form a rough estimate of the prevalence of malaria by examining the chief passages which treat of intermittent, remitted, and pernicious fevers, and of malarial cachexia. The works which are included in the Hippocratic corpus were written at various times and by various authors. It has been thought that certain of the writings, the Cohen prognostics, and the first Prodetic, were compiled from inscriptions on votive offerings in the temple of Aesculapus at Kos. The discoveries made by Cavadius at Epidarius do not afford any support to this view, but nevertheless it is clear that these writings, as well as others of the Corpus, imply a fairly long medical tradition behind them. Hence it is practically certain that malaria was known in the medical schools before Hippocrates, who was born about 460 BC. This conclusion is borne out by the evidence cited in the previous chapter. 
Still, it must be remembered that the disease may have been common enough in Asia Minor, but unknown in Attica and other parts of Greece. The ancient Greeks, keeping themselves secluded in their little city-states, were not very likely to spread infection from one to another. Although it is impossible to fix the date of the earliest Hippocratic writings, for even if Hippocrates wrote out the Cohen prognosis himself, it is probably a mere complication. The latest of them appears to have been written before the time of Aristotle. The malarial fevers are mentioned again and again in the Hippocratic collection, so often in fact that a glance over a few pages is enough to convince any reader that they were among the most common diseases with which the Greeks were acquainted. In the first book of the epidemics, fevers are divided into 1. Continuous, Synergies, 2. Quotidians, 3. Semitergians, Imetretoi, 4. Tertians, Tertoi, 5. Quartans, Tertatoi, 6. Quintans, Permtatoi, 7. Septans, Evdomoi, and 8. Nonans, Enatidoi. Hippocrates mentions the severity of continuous fevers, which must have included remittent malaria, and rightly remarks that of all fevers, the quartan is at once the longest and the least dangerous. The semi-tertian, which was almost certainly the malignant tertian, single or double, is also characterized as being of a particularly fatal nature. The malignant tertian seems to be fully described earlier in the same book, where the writer speaks of a fever which never wholly intermits. But, after the nature of tertians, Trotophia tropon becomes less severe on alternate days. The beginning of the attack is mild, but gradually the fever becomes more severe. There is a slight halt, and then the proxisms become worse than ever. All the distressing symptoms of fever are felt in a specially painful fashion. Hippocrates was familiar with Hippiolos, and in the book On a Crisis, mention is made of a curious fever, apparently quotidian, called Lipiria which turned into Epiolos, and lasted 40 days. There is another classification of fevers on the treatise On the Nature of Man, which according to Aristotle was written by Polybius, the son-in-law of Hippocrates. The division in this case is fourfold. Synodos, Amphirianos, Tritios, Tertatios. The most interesting remark in the passage is the effect that the age most liable to quartans is from the 25th to the 45th year. Remittent fevers would come under the general head of Synechius peritoi. But there were certain special forms that were evidently very common in the time of Hippocrates, and were called Kafsos, Phrenetis, and Dithorikos. Much controversy has raged about the meanings of these terms, and although in all probability it would never be possible to solve the whole problem, yet Littre pointed out the way to an approximately correct solution when he insisted that the disease denoted by these three words must be identified not with those prevalent in modern climates, but with those common in Greece at the present day. The burning disease, Kafsos, owed its name to the feeling of intense heat experienced by the patient. Probably no fever is mentioned so frequently in the Hippocratic collection, and it must have been peculiarly prevalent at the time of Hippocrates and afterwards. The symptoms show a remarkable likeness to those of typhoid, and excellent clinicians whom I have consulted on the matter 
and are confident that the disease was, in some cases at least, allied to our enteric. Certainly, if enteric existed, then it would often be called cafsos. But there are many excellent reasons why this term must have included other fevers as well. In the first place, typhoid rarely completes its course as soon as this disease frequently did. Furthermore, cafsos had remissions, and sometimes was the reverse of fatal. Nevertheless, it was accounted an acute disease, and caused directly or indirectly a considerable number of deaths. The conclusion of Littra is that cafsos is to be identified with remitted and subcontinuous malarial fever. Stefan also agrees, but is well aware how impossible it is to be sure that typhoid must be excluded. There is, however, one difficulty which needs clearing away. Malaria, in Greece at least, is above all things a summer illness, but Hippocrates clearly asserts that cafsos often occurred in winter. It must not, however, be supposed that this was a universal rule. On the contrary, it is expressly stated in the aphorisms that continuous fevers, cafsoi, tertians and quartans are diseases of summer. While according to the author of the treatises on affections, the acute diseases occur both in summer and in winter. Less frequently, however, and with less severity in the former case than in the latter. Perhaps the true explanation lies in the fact that the malarial season is not at the same time of the year throughout the whole of Greece, and that in certain places it does not begin before August or September. Thus at Aegean, Vostitsa, the beginning is sometimes in September, the height in October, and the decline in February. In Sparta, epidemics may occur from mid-September to November. The most marked characteristics of phrenitis were pain in the hypochondria, particularly in the region of the liver, and delirium. It was an acute disease, and usually ended in death on the third, fifth, or seventh day. The final crisis came on the seventh, or not later than the eleventh day from the beginning of the attack. Gallen, in his contemporaries on Hippocrates Ephemerisms, says that it generally had a tertian periodicity. From the prominent place occupied by it in the Hippocratic collection, it probably was common enough. There are references even in non-medical literature, without altogether excluding typhoid, or the curious mixture of typhoid and malaria called typhoid malaria, to which it bears a remarkable resemblance. We may safely diagnose phrenitis as pernicious malaria of the cerebral or typhoidal type. The characteristic of lethargos was irresistible coma. It was generally fatal, occurred chiefly in winter, and attacked adults. Here perhaps a confident diagnosis would be unwise, but the disease bears a strong likeness to the comatose form of pernicious malaria. It is most uncertain whether blackwater fever is referred to in the ancient medical writings. A theory is at present much in vogue that traces its origin, at least in many cases, to the use of quinine, with which the Greeks were certainly unfamiliar. Black urine, Melana Ora, is mentioned several times by Hippocrates, but one of our best authorities on the disease assures me that the cases described in the first book of the epidemics cannot be blackwater fever. Stephanos, who gives an excellent summary of the history of the disease in Greece, would not commit himself to a definite statement whether or not it was known to Hippocrates. But if there is doubt about the early existence of blackwater fever, 
it is quite certain that Hippocrates was perfectly familiar with malarial cachexia. Nothing could be clearer than the full and repeated descriptions to be found in the treatise Airs, Waters, Places. So large a part of the book is taken up by accounts of this miserable condition that the reader is forced to conclude that as early as 400 BC, a large part of Greece was highly malarious. There is a passage in the treatise on affections, where bilious sufferers from large spleens are said to be evil-complexioned, ulcerous and emaciated. Their breath is foul, and they are the victims of constipation. This is an excellent description of malarial cachexia, and with it should be compared the account in airs, waters, placers, of those who drink the water of marshy districts. They are said to have large spleens, but thin faces and shoulders. Dropsies of a fatal character are common. In summer occur dysentery, diarrhea, long quartans, and then dropsy. In winter the younger people suffer from perinevomnia and maniodia nosmata. The older men from kafsoi. The birth rate is affected by the physical condition of the women. The inhabitants are short-lived. Towards the end of the same work, there is a description of those who dwell in low, meadowy, limacodia, and hot districts, where winds and waters are warm. These people are said to be neither tall nor well-built, but stout, fleshy, dark-haired, dark-coloured, and bilious. By nature, for see, they are neither courageous nor of great powers of endurance, although good institutions, nomos, may produce these virtues in them. Not only is this passage a faithful portrait of malarial cachexia, but it also shows that acute observers were well aware, even in the time of Hippocrates, of the evil effects of malaria upon the character of those who are continually exposed to its influence. The inference to be drawn from the Hippocratic collection is that the Greeks of 400 BC were perfectly familiar with intermittent fevers, remittent fevers, various pernicious types of malaria, and malarial cachexia. Of Alcameon, and the other predecessors of Hippocrates, practically nothing is known. But of his successors, Diocles of Caristus, 350 BC, Praxagoras of Cos, 335 BC, and many other famous physicians belonging to the various schools, are sometimes referred to in the works of later writers. Diocles was the author of a work on fevers. His definition of fevers recorded by Galen, and he seems to have denied the existence of fevers having a longer periodicity than the Quartan. Braxagoras knew Epiolos and declared that certain fevers were more fatal when the patient was between the ages of 12 and 17. A liberal diet of flesh and wine was prescribed for sufferers from fever by Petronus of Agena and Heraclides of Tarentum, 230 BC, was much praised for his treatment of Phrenitis. The Greek physicians who came to Rome paid great attention to Phrenitis and Lethargos. Acathenus of Lacedaemon, 90 AD, wrote a special treatise on semi-Tertians, while Archigenes of Apamia, an able physician as well as surgeon, not only was familiar with the semi-Tertian, but also wrote ten books on fevers. Of the work of Areteus, a physician who stood apart from the medical controversies of this period, a considerable portion is still extant. He wrote in Ionic Greek, and is famous for his graphic descriptions of disease, which perhaps excel even those of Hippocrates. He tells us that splint diseases are rife in marshy countries, 
and their children are most subject to them. There is also a long passage dealing with the treatment of Phrenitis and Lithorikos, while his visited accounts of Kosos has always been greatly admired. The compiler Strabaeus has preserved for us several excerpts from the work of Antillus, who wrote, among other things, treatises on hygiene, the character of different errors, and the like. It is plain enough that the writer lived when malaria was universal and in some places severe. He states roundly that the late afternoon is unhealthy, like autumn, and so is the early part of the night. The unhealthiness of autumn must surely refer to malaria, and the evening is a dangerous time in malarious countries because it is then that the mosquitoes come out from their hiding places and bite. In another passage it is said that a high elevation increases healthiness, but marshy districts are always unhealthy, and in summer, pestilential. The special treatises on fevers, and on particular kinds of fever, which were written between the date of the Hippocratic collection and that of Galen, are typical of the tendency in Greek medicine to favour the minute subdivision of diseases. Galen, who practised at Rome, and is therefore not a very trustworthy authority for Greek malaria, distinguishes carefully between continuous and subcontinuous fevers, and his account of the intermittents is marked by desire to classify them according to the presence or absence of all the symptoms. So we have exquisite tertians and bastard tertians. Mixed and double infections are clearly recognised, and a most excellent description is given of a malarial attack. It is unfortunate that so copious a writer does not throw much light upon malaria in Greece. But it is to Galen that we owe our knowledge of many of his predecessors. Possibly the most interesting information he gives is that quotidians usually attack very young children. Tertians, young men, and semi-tertians, which we are told were common in Rome, men in their prime of life. The influence of Galen is very noticeable in his successors, Orobasius of Pergamus, the friend of the Emperor Julian, Aetius of Amidia, who was a count at the Byzantine court in the 6th century, Alexander of Trails, the contemporary of Aetius, Paulus of Aegina, a physician of the next century, and Palladius, who has left a treatise on fevers. Full and classified descriptions of malarial fevers occupy a prominent position in the works of these writers, but it's quite impossible to say how far their lengthy accounts are due to the prevalence of malaria, how far to their habit of copying, and how far to mere spinning of theory. End of section 4